Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 28. This is your home for elite level analysis of the NFL's upper Midwestern teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, your co-host, a Michigan native who's still here in the Motor City. As we react to week seven of NFL action right here in Detroit, Michigan, where if you are a Lions and a Spartans fan, then you did not have a very good time last weekend. In any case, here is my co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Um, coming to you, this honestly, I'll keep it short. It's been a, it was a nice uneventful weekend where I actually got to sit down and watch a lot of football. So, but before that happened, whatever, we'll get to it on the Joe. Yep. If you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com or recommending our show to your friends. This week, we want to talk about a rapidly developing story with a Detroit wide receiver. We'll react to Bijan getting Arthur Smith and all the picks, prognostications, and analysis you expect from us. First, though, we want to talk about a major college football story. It is Trouble in Ann Arbor. This is normally the time of the show that I kick it off to Brian for our first story, but that's not happening today because our lead is right here in my backyard. By now, if you follow college football at all, you're aware of the latest Michigan scandal about stealing signs that's not really about stealing signs, but boils down to stealing signs. Here's what we know now. Despite the early reporting conflating this with simple sign stealing, what Michigan is accused of runs much deeper than that. Allow me to introduce Connor Stallions. Stallions, according to multiple media reports, is a retired Marine Corps captain and a graduate of the Naval Academy. He also works as a staffer for Michigan football, though he's currently suspended with pay, which we both know is basically a paid vacation. According to various reports, Stallions was hired in May 2022 for an annual salary of $55,000, and he has absolutely no formal duties that anyone has been able to name. Somehow, however... 10TV WBNS in Columbus produced footage that shows Stallions, or someone who looks like him, as a highly active part of the Wolverine sideline during last year's Ohio State-Michigan game, especially interacting with the defensive coaches. A report by ESPN's Pete uh, Thamel Thamel, and Mark Schlabach claims that sources at 11 different Big Ten schools allege that Stallions bought tickets in his own name to over 30 combined Big Ten games at 11 different Big Ten stadiums, none of which for when Michigan was the opponent, over the last three years. That's before, that's one year before he was officially hired by the Wolverines football program. He would buy seats, sometimes single, sometimes two or a small group, uh, sometimes the home side, sometimes the visitor side, sometimes both, but always at about the 45-yard line and high enough to get an unobstructed view of the opposite sideline. Stallions would then send others to use the tickets and presumably forward the video to him. Per the same ESPN report, the NCAA is expected to receive video evidence of people in seats Stallion bought recording at length with cameras pointed at the opposite sideline. All of this is allegedly confirmed via financial records. 
I'm going to assume. Go ahead. Oh, so did you get to the part where when the news story broke, what happened at the Ohio State Penn State game last this weekend? Get in. Okay. Do that. Okay. He had a ticket on each sideline on the 45 yard line, and at the news story broke, and those seats, prime real estate, at one of the biggest games of the year, sat empty. So the true crime is he didn't even give them away. Sell them. Don't go to waste. No, I'm just kidding. It's pretty. That to me, that's even more in you know obvious. Like, oh hey, we got busted. Let's just not even use the tickets. Like at least send someone to sit there and pretend to watch the game like they're innocent, but they didn't even do that. Sorry, go on. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I'm for purposes of our discussion here. I'm going to assume that these allegations are true, since I'm inclined to believe tapes. And if it is true then this is a blatant, brazen, and orchestrated attempt to gain a competitive advantage that spits in the face of sportsmanship, the intent, and even the letter of the rules. In-person advanced scouting, for our listeners who maybe you know haven't been following this super closely, in-person advanced scouting has been illegal in the NCAA since 1994. Using any sort of device to record or decode any opposing team's communications is also illegal in its own right. Michigan is alleged to have been caught red-handed doing both. The only question is how many people knew about the rule-breaking. And that's largely an academic question because the head coach is ultimately responsible for everything that goes on in the program. And this guy, remember, is a staffer. If they're using this information, it's hard to believe that the coach wouldn't know about it if they were, you know, giving this information as the coordinators to help them uh, scheme up, you know, their offense and defensive play calls. Well, especially considering that it sure looks like, according to the uh, TV 10 Columbus footage, that this guy is on the sideline talking to defensive coaches. Mm -hmm. So, but you all, but the, you know, you can't prove anything with statistics, but you can sure raise a lot of smoke signals. And if you look at U of M's statistics over the last two and a half years, say, there are violent, jarring statistical differences between the first half and the second half. This reminds me very much of steroid era baseball, where people just said, oh, no, no, Sosa just went from hitting 30 home runs to 66 and breaking Maris's record every year. It's no big deal. Yeah, like we should Roger Clemens, yeah. Roger Clemens, of course, gained five miles an hour back onto his fastball at age 38. His, his ERA dropped from four to one when he turned 40. Right. Yeah, of course. Like Perfectly natural. Perfect. Look, but I mean, look, we're talking about beating Penn State and Ohio State like 60 to three in the second half. Wow. Over the last couple of years, some I, I forget exactly where. Look, I lost the statistic, but it's something to that effect. It makes sense that this would show up more in the second half because they've had time, uh, half time to decipher the codes based on previous. Exactly. I mean, they're either making the greatest adjustments in the history of football, or the first half gives them the info needed to crack which one of their four backup quarterbacks play. You know, doing the macarena on the sideline is the live one. And which one is the one that's goofy and they're matching it to the established play. And in the second half, they got it. Sorry, just quickly, I looked up the last game where Ohio State played Michigan. 
Michigan outscored Ohio State 28-3 to in the second half despite trailing at halftime. So that's pretty good halftime adjustments to your point about statistics. Yeah. I mean, you were watching that game and you're like, wow, is Ryan Day that much of a clown? Michigan's got the best play, the perfect play call every single play. Well, Penn maybe State, they had help. Penn State, Michigan, 2022. It was 14 to 16 at halftime. Michigan outscored Penn State 25 to 3 in the second half. The exact same script. This is the, the statistics you're pointing out. Now, maybe they are just really good, but it seems kind of shocking that two teams that were so evenly matched in the first half just always turns around. Right. That's that's highly unusual for yes. teams to be that close in the sec in the first half, and then all of a sudden it gets blown open. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was – and coaches aren't stupid. They know when the playbook's been compromised. What do you think Greg Schiano was talking about when he went off on there's some things going on out there and there's some not right things going on out there? And By the way, and, 2021, similar script, not as egregious, but they probably got better at it in, the, in their second year doing it. But it's, it's interesting, though, just this quick side note. I kind of attributed Michigan's big game resurgence over the last two years to getting better talent because D'Antonio was no longer at Michigan State. But that doesn't, this seems to match no. more. No. Gone. If you look at recruiting rankings and if you look at the uh, hit rate of prospects, Michigan recruiting is not significantly better today than in year one of Harbaugh. Okay. There you go. They are not. So with the same talent that they've always had for the entire duration of the uh, Michigan Harbaugh program, all of a sudden they're Georgia in the second half in the yeah. last two years. Yeah, I'm. it's starting to – It's it smells a little bit. I mean, of course, it broke last, late last week, and what happens next is what always happens when a major football program has a scandal. And this is not a Michigan thing or a Big Ten thing. This is any time a big-time football program has a scandal. All of their loyal pets in the media go to work attacking the story. And now we are here seeing all of the mental gymnastics that Michigan fans and, well, any college football fan, really. But right now, it's Michigan fans doing up here to make themselves believe everything's okay and it always has been when really it hasn't been let me be clear there are quite a number of michigan fans up around here especially actual alumni who are completely repulsed by what they are hearing they are upset that their beloved university is blatantly cheating because you can't deny it's a bad look this isn't just the old, oh, improper benefits, everybody does it back in the day. This is a lot different. This is a direct competitive advantage in the middle of a season. Somehow, though, we're not hearing a lot of those guys in the public. We, we get the dum-dum who flunked out of DeVry after two semesters that ends up with the microphone. So here's some of what I'm hearing and why it's nonsense including, by the way, plenty of people that are in the media and not just around here in Detroit that are taking Michigan's side. You're hearing things like, stealing signs is legal. Yeah, on game day. Kind of always has been. If you can look over at the other team's sideline and figure out what they're talking about, tip of the cap. But that's not actually the issue here. That's not the rule being violated. The rule being violated is in-person scouting. 
and using electronic reconnaissance against an opposing team. And that's a problem. It's a stupid rule. Well, it's been in the bylaws since 1994. So, yeah, here we go. It could have, could the... And could the NCAA suddenly legalize, say, wireless headsets and microphones and helmets, which right now are illegal in NCAAs? Sure, they could, but that doesn't stop what's going on right now from being illegal. I'm hearing, oh, it's a nothing burger. This is a story about nothing. Well, it was breaking news on ESPN TV, which doesn't happen all that often. This is anyone talk to any coach about signals from the sideline and they will tell you that you need it if you're going to run no huddle or tempo and show me a college team that doesn't want to run tempo the kicker though for why this is absolutely a thing is vegas as soon as this broke notified all the sports books to investigate and possibly delist michigan games wow they're That's talking like, about canceling all the bets on Michigan games. So you're saying Harbaugh might end up in a hole in the desert in Nevada somewhere. I am not saying that. However, <laughs> hey, How, no, nobody's better at getting their money than the IRS and the mob. I mean, Vegas, allegedly, if that existed. Wink. Yeah, I mean, this is more on the implications of this later. We covered how we know. There's a money trail. There's video evidence. We also know that there's got to be something because the Big Ten took the hugely unusual step of notifying all the other teams in the Big Ten that were scheduled to play Michigan still of the scope of the evidence and allegations before they rendered a final verdict. As a, hey, you know, you probably want to change your signs. So... I guess they had enough to say, hey, you know what? We better be safe than sorry here. Well, so just a couple things. The people who defend Michigan's actions, I don't understand this because people who defend steroids in baseball were like, hey, it's more fun, more home runs, more scoring, whatever. We have a fun time. But to like steal the offensive play calls so you can shut them down, like, when you're in playing Tecmo Bowl back in the nineties and you hit the, and you and you looked at your buddy as you hit up an A, and then you just hit up an A and you immediately stuffed it out. Like that's not fun for anybody involved if the defense always knows what the offensive play call is. Like Yeah, you're you know, you're te- what you're testifying is exactly right. If so the talent is fun. anywhere close to equal mm-hmm. and you know exactly what the other team's gonna do on every play, it's virtually impossible to lose. Yes. Exactly. And that's not a fun way of football. So I'm defending the rule because it makes it more fun when the battleship element is there trying to guess the the tendency of the other coordinator rather than just knowing it because you had a guy on the sidelines recording what they were doing and you know their signals. And teams put a lot of effort into changing their signals and disguising them. I mean, the only time it wasn't the same was when the Raiders played the Gruden Bucks in the Super Bowl and Gruden realized that they didn't change the signals since he left the team. And uh, that turned the Super Bowl into a rout. But, you know, they had all year to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, changing signs normally happens all the time. 
So a lot of people are like, well, then these teams are stupid because they shouldn't change their signals. Okay, yeah, but teams don't reinvent the wheel every week. Also, they're not coming up with an entirely new system of signs. To the people defending this, change your passwords on all your computers and stuff every week, but don't just add a number to it. Don't just add a one at the end and then a two at the end. You have to change it drastically. If you if you are against this rule, change your password every week and see how much fun that is. Now do it with multiple plays and multiple passes every week. And then remember, keep them straight. And tell 100 people, all, all make sure that 100 people are all straight on this. See how easy that is when your signs are your password. You know what I mean? Sorry. Yeah. Every, you're seeing the everyone does it article. Yeah, everyone tries to seal signs, maybe, that's, but not like this. That's gamesmanship, not blatant. Like, yeah, most people don't set up hidden cameras to see what cards somebody sitting across the table are holding. That's like playing poker and reading someone's tell, not looking at their cards in their hands. Right, not having some way, not having a like a hidden camera or something like that. Look. Harbaugh and Harbaugh does lots of things that other people don't do, like host JJ in person during the pandemic, which was supposed to be against the rules. And by the way, her her Medwards got fired for that alone. So we're doing things that are beyond gray area here in, in Ann Arbor. And then there's my personal favorite. It can't be true because it just doesn't make sense. It's unnecessary. Why would they do it? Well. Where shall I begin? How about Harbaugh played Mozzie last year against Indiana while hiding the fact that Mozzie had a felony gun charge pending against him? So, yeah, this is a a program with a track record of doing whatever it wants, whenever it wants. And yes, the NCAA is on a witch hunt. I fully admit to that. I would also say that a lot of it is self-inflicted. When did this start? Goes back to, I think, the COVID year. Now we're in my personal opinion. But you remember that Ohio State game versus Michigan in the COVID year? Nope. That's right, you don't, because Michigan chickened out on it. (laughs) All of a sudden, and we never heard exactly who had tested positive or how many had tested positive within the football program. We heard numbers from of positive tests in the Michigan athletic department because that year, Ohio state was possible national title. Good. And Michigan was clearly down. And there was a chance that Jim Harbaugh loses that 2020 game by 40, 50. And And if that happens, he might have gotten fired. Oh, it's pretty much a certain at that point. Look at his track record. I mean, that year that they didn't play was the last year they didn't beat Ohio State. That is correct. They've won the last two. So that's 21, 22, and they haven't yet played this there year. You go. We've talked about how all of a sudden they are second half warriors against big teams, especially. But it really is everybody if you go back and look. It's just ridiculous against the big teams. There's one clear exception these last basically two years where they crumbled in the second half. And that is against TCU. 
I think the reason for that is because nobody knew TCU was going to be in the college football playoff until they were scheduled to play Michigan. So they didn't have any scout tape on their signs. And all of a sudden, they couldn't stop a clearly inferior team, or so we thought. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, do you have anything else on this one? Because that was uh, quite a mouthful, because uh, I think I covered a lot of it. I just think it's funny when people say, why would Harbaugh have motivation for it? to win? He was going to lose his job. Decade of losing to Ohio State. You know, he was what? Oh, and five. Oh, you were right. Oh, and five. He was hired in 2015. Yeah. This could be win or lose the last year for Jim Harbaugh in the, in NCAA. There's all kinds of possible, you know, where do we go from here? Kinds of questions. How fast is this going to go down? Are we going to, are they going to somehow fast track this to vacate wins before we get to the playoff? I doubt it. And I gotta say one thing too. Let's not forget that Harbaugh just came off a suspension this season. So yeah, I, I heard one of the defenders. Some of the defense was, "Oh, the NCAA just doesn't like him, so they're singling him out." This doesn't seem like this. Something... That's an extension of the everybody does it. Argument. Oh, okay. But this was specific because he'd already been suspended. But to me, it's the opposite. Where I can't remember what he was suspended for, but it, this is this is the. Uh, serial um crime committee yeah lack of institutional control i don't have the stuff in front of me but there's probably been 10 different scandals of various sizes since harbaugh took over Mm -hmm. it's he's just got a track record of thumbing his nose and doing what he wants i mean and michigan needs to figure out what they're going to do about it if anything but i definitely applaud the people that are in the michigan fandom that are saying this is unacceptable and we need to clean house. I congratulate them because I think college football is at its best when sportsmanship matters. And it's getting harder and harder to say that, I know, but sportsmanship needs to matter. Um, I'll be curious if, you know, they vacate wins or uh, or if there's a future bull band possibly this year, probably not this fast, but. Yeah, this usually take this kind of thing usually takes years. So that's why this, this is so unusual. I haven't heard of any scandal like this in my 30 years of following. Shall we move on to NFL action? Yes, enough college football stuff. That was a lot. Well, we got another case of the Arthur Smith being Arthur Arthur Smith down in Atlanta where Bijan Robinson was not a game day, was not an inactive. He just Played two snaps. One time he played um, a on a he played the first half one snap on a fullback screen for some reason, and then he had one carry at the end of the game. And basically he was ghosted for uh, Cordell Patterson and um, Tyler Algier. This game included Arthur Smith's masterpiece in coaching by scoring a touchdown without letting Kyle Pitts, Drake London, or Bijan Robinson touch the ball. So is Arthur Smith the greatest coach ever because he's just so bored with how easy the NFL is that he goes out of his way to not let any of his high-drafted players touch the ball. And it's not like they're bust. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson have ridiculous track highlight reels, and it's not just the reels that are good. They're just good all the time. 
So I don't know what's going on here. Apparently he had a brutal headache or something, but why not just make him inactive and give the roster spot to a special team? Yeah, I I don't understand. Um, maybe he's flashing back to Tennessee where he's got to make offense with guys that nobody's ever heard of. So he's like, wait a minute, I'm gonna go fall. I'm gonna go all of a sudden find a Corderell Patterson and you know take him out of the freezer or whatever. Why why draft Bijan in the first place? Corderell and Tyler Algier were a good one-two punch last year. So why burn your top ten pick for no reason if you're not gonna play him? You know. And by the way, when he was in Tennessee, he was leaning on Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. Even Corey Davis, that was a pass funnel offense. Not pass funnel, but they, they had a condensed offense. They weren't just like, hey, who's our third string tight end this week? Let's give it to that guy. You know, like it's just, it's weird. Um, and I know he always says, yeah. I'm not one. Infatuation with Johnu Smith. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to win fantasy football games. I'm trying to win games. But like, it's the point where he's not winning because his offense is good. You put up 17 points in a loss or even a win. That's not good offense. Yeah, the the report, the press corps kind of, you know, they pressed him on why he was using Bijan Robinson the way that he was in this game after the game. Mm-hmm. And Arthur and uh Arthur Smith couldn't give him a a reason, a logical reason. He hemmed and hawed for a minute or two and then finally just said, I'll tell you tomorrow. You know, when I have time to think of a logical reason. Yeah, a lot of guys wish they could tell that to their girlfriends. I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow after I make up an excuse. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not going to work at all. There is, by the way, in a later development, a possible fine from the NFL brewing because if they were going to not use him all of a sudden and then claim it was illness or injury, then they needed to say something in the injury report before the game started. Interesting. Oh, yeah, especially... That's why they have injury reports. Yeah, and I think I missed this line. Uh, There was claims of a brutal, persistent headache since Saturday night, so there was no news of that until, you know, until the third quarter of the game. (laughs) So, Chris Olave was arrested last night um, for speeding 35 miles over the speed limit. Um, there wasn't any indication of intoxication. He was cooperative. Um, so it sounds to me like it was just a young kid driving fast. I've done it myself. I mean, allegedly, I mean, I have an insurance if you're listening. If I did, that was 20 years ago when I was young. I'm much better at about now. I'd never do it again. Um, and, uh, but what do you think this does? Cause there was some antics between Carr and Alave in, in the, in the Thursday night loss where, uh, it didn't seem like things were going well. Do you think there's some smoke there that, or do you think he was just blowing off steam? Because there was like a great play where Carr kind of threw about, threw, missed Olave on a pass and then was very animated in throwing Olave under the bus. And that's become a running joke over the weekend because now Carr's going to have to sit next to Olave in the film room and watch um how horrible his pass was that went into the third row of the seats. And then he's yelling at Olave for running the wrong route or something. But I don't think even if Olave caught the ball, you're allowed to catch the ball 30 yards out of bounds. So I don't know what's going on in New Orleans, but it seems like frustration's kicking in. It could be a car meltdown. I mean, at this point, teams recognize that he's a check down machine. 
for the most part. Occasionally he'll throw it deep, but he's a checkdown machine. And now New Orleans is left holding the bag and they're going to have to try and figure out how they're going to salvage this build if they can. Mm. And that, that's the concern too. If they learn he's a checkdown machine, which we've only had nine years of him and in, 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 in with the Raiders to figure this out. Olave, great route runner, but he is a great deep threat. And if Carr's not going to throw it deep to him, that's that takes on a lot of big of, chunk of effectiveness in both Olave and the Saints offense as a whole. Yeah, that's true. And continuing on with the wide receiver stuff, the Lions um, late this afternoon, this is kind of a developing breaking story, announced that Marvin Jones was going on leave from the team and was going to step away from football for some to deal with some personal family matters. We don't know exactly what that is. And that was kind of breaking as I was driving uh, this afternoon home from work. And then by the time I got home and opened up uh, the internet, the Lions had cut Marvin Jones. So... Mm -hmm. That escalated quickly. Um, he hadn't done a whole lot on the field in terms of the Lions uh, receiving core this year for production. He was definitely a veteran presence that was needed. But, you know, you can go without that. The Lions seem to have pretty good chemistry for the most part. What I was kind of wondering was like, OK, do we need a wide receiver now? We know what Amon Ra can do. He's fine. You understand in Detroit what Josh Reynolds can do because of the connection and the work ethic and the toughness and just the familiarity. Other than that, what do we got? Well, it's interesting. More on JMO when we do the Ravens, but well, it's interesting to me because I think Reynolds is solid number three. I still think you need a number two guy to slot in between him and St. Brown. And Marvin Jones, even at his age was still a good field stretcher and they often age well. You can still run in a straight line, whether or not you get open or not, you at least keep the safeties honest. And he seemed, it seemed like he was there to do that role while JMO was on suspension. And um, it's weird. I, I I heard that he was stepping away from football to deal with his family. I didn't know that the, I didn't hear that the Lions released him until we were filming this, recording this podcast. So that seems like there might be a little bit more than just I'm stepping away to look at my family. Like just not to make two alleges that it's, it worries me that there's more going on behind the scenes because that's what the Bears defensive coordinator said when it turned out he wasn't stepping away to be with his family. The FBI was raiding his house. Well, to be fair, Marvin Jones was clear in his sort of farewell statement that he released mm -hmm. that he did not intend to come back to the team. Okay. Well, but why? Well, we'll find out. I think this is it. Yeah. If it's any of our business, we'll find I think out. It's, I think there'll be a follow-up in the next couple of weeks, to be honest. But um, we'll to see be honest, about that. at this point in his career, we there might be a follow-up, but it might not make the news rounds because, you know, Marvin Jones, I like him. He was good in, you know, Cincinnati and uh, Jacksonville and obviously Detroit for years. He was a solid receiver, but he's never really been a star, an elite guy that, the, the uh, yeah, people have already forgotten about the Bears defensive coordinator. So I don't, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have seen if Tampa was lousy, like we thought they were mm -hmm. maybe do a one year rental on like a uh, Mike Evans or something mm -hmm. like that for that big jump ball retriever that the lions don't really have with deep speed, but you know, that's not going to materialize. So you got to find somebody that's halfway affordable 
that fits that kind of big guy jump ball retriever kind of mm-hmm. mold. And we'll see if anyone like that even shakes out. Yeah. But I'm going to drop the email here. It's we are Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. Now that I've angered away all the Michigan fans, we are Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. And let's get right into what we saw in week seven, starting with those lions, because, oh boy, this is the game tape from the Ravens game. This is a fire in a barrel. This is the game tape from the Ravens game in a fire in a barrel. Any questions? Turn off my mic for a little bit while you go on your second round of the day. This is actually, I'm going to keep it pretty short because, you know, the Lions were not going to go, you know, 16 and one. And you're the, and everybody had a bad game all the same time, which is not fair, actually, because in reality, it was one or two guys on every play having a catastrophically bad play at the exact wrong time. I would say the one concerning trend that I saw, well, two, but the big one is mobile quarterbacks continue to absolutely shred the Lions. They've played two of them this year. Geno Smith, who scored, what, 31, 37 points? Mm -hmm. Something ridiculous. And now Lamar Jackson, who scored... Pretty much at will. Good news, you still have two games against Justin Fields. He allegedly can run. (laughs) If he's alive for those games. I thought you were going to be all on the next guy. But anyway, yeah. I was looking at your schedule. It looks like he's the only running quarterback left, though. So that goes well. Although, yeah, so I'm kind of hoping that we don't end up with um, Philadelphia at any point in the playoffs, because that might not be. But I got I have to call out JMO here, Jamison Williams. Six targets, two drops, zero catches, and the same snap share as seventh round rookie Antoine Green. A thought occurred because it's kind of funny. You're watching Jared Goff, who was lousy. He had 280 empty underneath yards. So he wasn't horrible statistically, but he was the king of finding the three-yard dump off on third and ten. Jameson Williams passes in the direction of Jameson Williams look crazy. We're talking about a guy with 21, 22 targets in his career and six catches. Three touchdowns, but that wildly inefficient. And I started to think back to the early part of last year when Jared Goff looked awful and he was throwing to Jamison Williams and DJ Hawkinson, Hawkinson. (laughs) both of which have wildly poor and inaccurate route running. Maybe it's bad route runners that make a quarterback look like a clown. Weird. I mean, to your point, here's the exact statistics in two seasons. 23.8% 23.8% of passes Jamison Williams' way have been caught for an average of 4.6 yards per target. That's horrific. Mm-hmm. That is atrocious. There was a, bl- a bright spot for the Lions. It is It was Jameer Gibbs, who they used, perhaps reluctantly, if you believe uh, Dan Campbell, as a three-down workhorse. And he wasn't he wasn't Montgomery, but he was good. I agree. He was not the problem here. 
there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, I saw one ridiculous touchdown pass where a Lamar Jackson had over nine seconds in the pocket. Wow. It ended up in a, in a, about a 20, 25 yard touchdown pass. He could have ran. He didn't. He threw it downfield. Over nine seconds. Four is a ton in the NFL. Yikes. At least he threw it. I saw a video of Fields holding the ball for nine seconds against Tampa and then taking a sack. So. I'm right. not bitter. Yeah. The Lion, to me, the one thing that the Lions have to do. I think Jamison Williams has one more game to figure out how to play football and then they're going to and then they might trade for a receiver. Deadline's next week, right? Correct. So- and exactly one week from today we're recording on the 24th, the Tuesday of 24th of October. If you guys could get a second round pick for him like the Steelers got for Claypool last year, would you do it? Right now. Yes. I, I I think I would take it at this point. And Claypool was like a third-round pick, so the Steelers actually got extra value out of them. At this point, there's no shame in salvaging <laughs> value at this you know. Yeah, or package him for a veteran receiver on a, on a rental, or I don't even care. Mm-hmm. He said but... Tampa was bad. Yeah, Evans was yeah, that You know, that kind of re- – that sort of Mike Evans type of receiver – is exactly what the Lions don't have in this offense. Yeah. I bet the uh, Patriots would trade uh, Devontae Parker, but would you want him? <laughs> well, he'd be more affordable. True. From that dud, the wildest game of the weekend was Browns at Colts. This was unbelievable. Who called a shootout between these two? Because it wasn't me. So this is an interesting one because this kind of um, goes to, before we get really into the details of it, there's just a higher arcing thing. And we could tie this into the Monday night game of the Niners Vikings, where there's a theory where when two teams play a super violent, aggressive, intense game, they tend to have a letdown the next week. And last week it was the Browns upset over uh, the Niners and the Browns defense looked like a team that had been beat up. <laughs> and guess what? The Niners also did, and they lost to uh, the Vikings. More on that later. But back to this game, what was your take? I mean, we, we could start with this is a shootout where Deshaun Watson was one for five for five yards and in an interception. Got briefly- Should have been a second interception because they had one called back that uh, that must have barely grazed the ground. Oh. So it should have been a second pick. And then and then he got clobbered and landed kind of on a shoulder and kind of on the back of his head. But they took him into the tent and he cleared concussion protocol. And the coach said he still wasn't going back in the game because they wanted to be cautious with him. Cautious for his health. Because, you know, that's what the NFL does. They never say uh, if you're hurt or you're injured. Get in the game if you're hurt. It's if you're borderline, get in the game. Um, this is more, you're one in five with an interception. Yes, should have two. Ah, let's go in the second way. Like It's kind of interesting, the parallel between Watson and Wilson, um, Russell Wilson, that is. People, teams trading a boatload, sending him to huge contracts and like regretting it within two years. And, you know, Watson comes with a lot more baggage. And obviously we talked about this in previous weeks. I don't know why I said obvious, but, uh, <laughs> um, but Baker Mayfield, 
I, I think a lot of Browns fans would trade trade would would, would undo the trades. But do you think if yeah. Watson yeah. doesn't become the Watson of Houston, that they should ride with PJ Walker or DTR? Because I don't. They won two games Look, with P- PJ Walker, but I can't shake watching him play in the preseason for Chicago. And there's a reason why this guy's on his like third team, fourth team in the last year and a half. Is that the answer? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the difference between Deshaun Watson and PJ Walker, other than their bank accounts, is Walker has been able to get out of his own way for the most part. That's true. He's not doing much offensively, but he's also not turning the ball over. And with that running game and that defense and with those receivers, they don't need a stud. Yes. Deshaun Watson maybe could have been that stud, but he can't get out of his own way. I mean, I don't know what is going on with Deshaun Watson, but he looks terrible. And there comes a point where you have to admit it. It's more longer I don't know if he... Ah. It's no. I don't know if he can't fit the if he doesn't fit the system or he got paid and now he's fat and sassy. I have no clue. We we can't blame this uh, the rust anymore. I know he was out for a couple seasons, but he's had a full training camp now and part of last season. This is the time that he should be clicking. He's got good receivers, good line. Agree. Like it's one of those things where like we go back to this. The, the Broncos years ago, like, hey, man, what if this team just had a quarterback, like an average quarterback? How hard could they fly? And unfortunately, they don't. And the worst part, too, is if you go to someone like P.J. Walker and you just hope he's, you know, slightly below average, the advantage is you could pay everybody else. You could be like the Niners, right? But they don't have that cap flexibility with their cap because I think even if they cut or traded Watson, I think they'd still take a big cap hit at this point. Oh yeah. Almost all of his money is guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other problem about the guaranteed contracts. They leave the room. There's no wiggle room for uh, cap massaging is the the issue that I heard that makes it harder. So like someone like Pat Mahomes signed this giant contract with not, not fully guaranteed, but quarterbacks always get their money, especially the starting quarterbacks. So it's not necessary if you're Mahomes or Tom Brady or something to have it fully guaranteed. It actually makes it easier to play cap games. But obviously you have to trust your franchise to do right with those, that money. You know, It's a different story. But I don't know. It's, it's worrisome because the Browns are every bit as good as we think they are at everywhere except the quarterback division. And this is they, – they still won the game and they beat the Niners. But you don't feel good about it, right? You feel like they escaped. Yeah. Um, against, against this, they won the game, yeah. But Gardner Minshew had four turnovers. The dude was a turnover machine. Again. But some, but the Browns were making enough other mistakes that the Colts were able to stay right with it. Uh, this was, and by the way, this game turned at the end on an absolutely brutal illegal contact call deep in the fourth quarter that overturned the ga- a game-sealing strip sack for the Colts. It was wow. You know? Like, I was just, I saw the flag, and then I saw the replay, and I was just like, no. I mean, just to, for the audience, I believe this is one where there was a strip sack return for a fumble for a touchdown for the Colts, 
and it was called back because they had set a flag for defensive uh, holding or something or legal contact downfield on the defensive back, right? You know, the, set, right. the weird part is people who are anti-Ohio will point out that a similar call was made in the Ohio State-Penn State game in the first half that nixed a touchdown by Penn State and led to the Ohio State first touchdown. So it's kind of weird that the state of Ohio benefited from this play twice in a 24-hour span. I though I think that when you look back at the Penn State Ohio State game, there was a it was more of Marvin Harrison's just so good the guy was was holding him, you know. Yeah, Whereas I mean, this, I don't. Yeah, I the see the it. Browns one was more along the lines of, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess his arm is in there, but really, as a former defensive back in in a high school, you're trained to go for one one hand with the ball, one hand on the hip, and you don't grab it. You can put your hand on the the receiver. The point is, if you miss the ball with your other with your free hand, you immediately can grab the receiver when he catches it, and he doesn't get a, and he doesn't get any yards after contact. Now, maybe sometimes there's liberty where they tug a little bit, but that's that's negating a touchdown's pretty ticky tack on that play like that. The hand on the receiver is yeah, not a penalty. That's what I'm trying to say. It did. It's not like the guy was tackled or shoved off of his route. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you can't. There, yeah. You can put your hand on a receiver all you want. You just can't re reroute them with it, or whatever. Quote unquote. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor got for the Colts got a fifty fifty workload, uh, but was much 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 better. He looked back. Um, I I don't think Ford is going away, but Moss. if they're not Moss, Zach Moss, Drum Ford's on the fronts. Right, I don't think Moss is going away. Sorry no, about that. no, that's a good. Well, that's funny because they get they're both four letter words and they play in the same game. They're both like hot waiver pickups. And I'm looking time. at the next line here. And the next line. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor. But I would I would expect to see more Jonathan Taylor going forward, especially in close games. I mean, he had 75 and a touchdown on the ground and another 45 in the air. That's that's pretty good production. It's the yeah. on almost the same number of touches as. Moss, uh, literally two more, but he was much more efficient with all his touches. Right on the on the Brown side, though, you we got an ankle here for Jerome Ford. So, um, I have yet to see MRIs or anything like that on Ford. We don't know if he'll be out or how long he'll be yeah, out. Yeah. But if he is out, that's an opportunity for Kareem Hunt to kind of take even more of the work and he was kind of going in that mm -hmm. direction is it shape already though? well so we'll find out if it's a high ankle sprain or a low ankle sprain one of them is more of a six-week thing versus a you know week to week um and it's a shame because you know as good as taylor looked ford was the best running back in the game he he had a 74 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries which is you know much less than taylor had and another 20 yards in the air and he was averaging twice the amount of carry yards per carry as a Hunt was, but maybe Hunt was more in the back of the, you know, in the second half, but he did catch two touchdowns. But I don't know. I, I it sucks because Jerome Ford looked he still looked better than Kareem Hunt, but Hunt's fine, but whatever. Yeah. On to the game that has the Raiders questioning their life choices. The Bears with a huge win on Sunday. Talk to us about this game. I mean, right? that was a, just this was a straight, just systematic beatdown from start to finish. And um, 
you know, it says here biggest blowout in the career, any uh, bigger blowout than any win for Fields, which isn't many. Um, a lot of that had to do with the defense just playing lights out. I mean, it was sick. they held they held the Raiders to six game points until garbage time, which is very rare in Chicago. Raiders, the only team in the NFL to that has yet to hit twenty one points in a game this season. There you go, offensive guru Josh McDaniels at work, and. You know, can yeah forget trading Devontae Adams. They can trade Josh McDaniels for, you know, a bag of Cheetos. Right? And um, Tyson Bajan, undrafted rookie, free agent out of Shepherd University, uh, West Virginia's finest. Obviously, we've heard all the son son of the arm wrestling champion and all that fun stuff. Um, That's right. We were talking about that one in uh, the summer. Yeah, because we were like, where is this? School? Yep, I believe. Yeah, because he looked good in preseason. So this isn't too surprising. Um, it's interesting because his dad, I believe his name is Taylor, but since it's easy to confuse Tyson and Taylor, I've heard that uh, we just call him T-Bag uh, for short uh, for Tyson Bajan. Um, I don't think the Raiders fans are going to enjoy getting T-Bag this Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're getting borderline here on the jokes. Um, anyways. Uh, yes, just a little bit. Uh, um, but yeah, so like what to me, obviously the – average fan is saying get rid of Justin Fields Tyson Bajan is the greatest thing ever and it's funny because the good complaint with Fields was look at these highlights and he'd only throw for 200 yards and rush for 100 and then Bajan comes in and throws for 160 and is apparently the greatest quarterback ever um ah, the Brock Purdy argument we won so he's awesome yes and you know I think he did a good job he looked great congratulations young man got the win I'm happy to see it you are an NFL caliber quarterback, and you deserve to be the tight, uh, the backup. And I think you've done a good job. Ironically, the other Bears backup quarterback in the preseason, who we beat up, PJ Walker, won two games with the Browns. Um, but to me, it's 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 just the same old script. You see a new quarterback come in with no game film on him. Uh, he takes all the checkdowns. He moves the ball. He does just enough to move the chains. Leans on the run game. Keeps the defense rested. Wins the game. Um, I believe if if the Bears are playing the Chargers next week, more on that. But two weeks from now, if we play a team with an actual defensive coordinator, defensive mind with a pulse, I, I imagine they're going to look at this game film and they're going to play very tight underneath. And those checkdowns won't be there and it's going to get tough. And that's what we, we see this all the time, even with backup quarterbacks. We kind of saw it with Minshew coming in spelling. Um, Anthony Richardson twice looking like the best quarterback ever, and then he started and he was struck. You know, even last week he threw a bunch of interceptions, turnovers. He th- yeah, he threw two touchdowns, one interception, and fumbled three times, lot losing all exactly. Three. So I, I think that you're going to see future defenses choke up on Bajan, force him to throw the ball deeper down the field. I mean, he threw what eight for nine to DJ Moore for like 50 yards. That's not going to be sustainable when teams start. You know pressing up on those underneath stuff but but in the short term the passing game did not seem to be it had to suffer any ill effects with pageant in and there the bigger key to me is that if i'm the bears coaching staff if i'm getsy or eberflus i'm gonna be sitting next to justin fields watching the game film and every time bajan throws the ball to dante foreman for a three-yard game i'm just gonna needle and be like hey hey that might be three yards, but when you take that sack, that's minus nine. So that's a 12-yard gain if you just did that. 
So if you take these six yard, you know, these six sacks of games that Fields takes because he's holding on the ball too long, trying to make a big play, and just get the just run the ball or check it down to a you know uh, underneath, that's how well that offense looks. If you just don't take the negative yards, if you don't put yourself in second and nineteen every time, you know, so. To me, that's how I envisioned the offense coming into this season. If you remember some of the preseason conversations we had was if Fields just does this, what Bajan did, and occasionally makes a big play with his legs or throws the ball down the field, the Bears offense is going to be putting up 40 points a game, you know, maybe against, maybe not because they'll play better defenses. But that's the offense I envisioned. To me, it's a lot of confirmation bias that the Bears – have offensive talent. The offensive line looked great. The running backs looked great. And Foreman went off. Like that dude, what, three touchdowns? Won a lot of fantasy leagues. And everyone in Carolina is going, why did we let him walk to Chicago for $3 million and sign Miles Sanders for $24 million? If only they could have scouted Foreman last year when he was a monster in the second half for Carolina after they traded uh, McCaffrey. But even then, Foreman left the game injured. And Darrington Evans off the practice squad and Travis Homer, both, you know, third down backs kind of kept it rolling. And it's one of those things where I do love the Bears running back court. They have five valuable players. Evans and uh, Homer are more third down backs, but you can see they, they they did their job in the second half to help close the game. And I agree. The passing game looked fine. They moved the chains. And I'll let you cut in on this before I double back to the class quarterback class in retrospective. What's your take on the worst coach that ever? Was? Oh, is that the? Oh, wait, sorry. That's that's the key to the next game, right? That's our uh, transition. That is that would be McDaniel's. Oh, that is true. I so Josh, I am shocked he did not get fired last year. But I guess he had the one year. But. When you said that stat, what was that stat he had? They haven't scored 20 points in a single. They have yet to score 21 points in a game this season. Well, you beat We're going into week. We're going into week eight. You beat me to. I'm glad you said that. So I don't look stupid because I was going to say I was pretty happy to see how the Bears defense played, but that might be more of a symptom of who, who the offense was than how well the Bears defense played, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because they've somehow managed to make. Yeah, Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs look like practice squad guys. Yeah. And that's hard to do. Yes. Oh, I know, right? Okay. So let's let's run this hypothetical through. Let's say all the, the Bears fans get their wish and we get rid of Justin Fields for Tyson Bajan and he outs Fields. Looking back at that great 2021 quarterback draft class with five guys in the first 15 picks. Trevor Lawrence, looking great in Jacksonville, Super Bowl contender. Good for him. Number two overall, Zach Wilson, more known for the um, off-field chasing of uh, Donna Kelsey <laughs> and losing his starting job to uh, um, Aaron Rodgers, but getting it back due to injury. But the Jets had already given up on him before his rookie contract ended. Number three was Trey Lance, who was not even on the Niners anymore, and he lost his job to Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy from last year. Tyson Bajan is even less relevant than uh, Mr. Irrelevant because he wasn't even drafted. And Mac Jones is still Mac Jones. And even though they beat the Bills, he is not good. And there's a lot of rumors of getting benched for Bailey Capital. So there are a lot of comparisons to the great draft class of 1983, the Dan Marino, John Elway, Jim Kelly. This 
could go down as the greatest draft bust class of all time if Fields doesn't work out and loses his job to an undrafted free agent. So I hope Fields works out and can do what I hoped, but that is a scary thought if you are, uh, you know, t- if you're trying to, if your team is tanking, you might not have as much hope as you think you do. Yeah, because the, those quarterbacks don't always work out. Speaking of quarterbacks that are uh, not always working out, on to the afternoon games where we've got the Steelers and the Rams. This was a defensive slugfest with the Rams playing three-card Monty at running back. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Zach Evans was such a great pickup only to kill everybody who blew their fab on him. <laughs> is it Royce Freeman yeah. and Daryl? Fab, fab being a free agent budget for those of us who are not fantasy football players. You have to if you, to get a priority guy who's not on a team, you often have to spend this kind of imaginary money, depending upon how your league is set. And up. for those of us who use that, not everyone in fantasy uses that system. It's a lot of times, first come, first serve, or worst team gets first. But yeah, right. Which well, that's what we do in our league that we do together. That's it's a worst picks first but system. The point is, it's a nightmare if you draft if you took up Evans and then you just you didn't get him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was clearly third string to Henderson, who literally was signed off the, the practice squad a couple of days ago. I think it was Saturday night, to be honest. Um, yeah. Puka continued to look great. Looks like the Steelers shut down Cooper Cup, but guess what? Now they have two Cooper Cups. Insert Spider-Man yeah. meme of Cooper Cup and Puka, because since Cup's return, they have virtually identical stats in every aspect of the game. It's 1A and 1A. The Steelers... De- uh strategy definitely seemed to be let's not let cooper cup beat us and then puka go boom yes well said (laughs) the running game for the steelers still looks awful i mean if from a fantasy perspective and an nfl perspective it's hard to like any of these guys right now from a fantasy perspective both of them scored touchdowns which was league winners in a week with six bye weeks and a lot of injuries (laughs) but it wasn't exactly exciting to watch the offense was heavily funneled to uh, Pickens and the returning Deontay Johnson. It was still on a pitch count, but not that much. It was like 70% versus 100% that Pickens. Right. Right, right, yeah. And those the two receivers look good. They're probably the best part of the offense. So, this, but my question to you, I added this in the preview. Do you think Matt Canada is quietly a genius that we don't understand? Because we talk about how terrible the uh, offense has been, and, and Tomlin won't get rid of it. And the Steelers keep winning games. But if you look at Kenny Pickett's stats now, first three quarters through fourth quarter, he is amazing in the fourth quarter. So do you think that Matt Canada is purposely calling the most boring vanilla game plan through three quarters to lull the defense and defensive coordinators sleep? And then he turns it on for the fourth quarter to punch him in the gut and take the win. You don't think he's that I think you can explain. I think the, the best explanation for Matt Canada being the offensive coordinator of the Steelers can be summed up in two words. Incriminating pictures. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is a lot like the Chargers last year with um, Joel Lombardi, former Lions, quote-unquote, great uh, offensive coordinator, 
where Justin Herbert only looked good in the fourth quarter when he wasn't running the Joel Lombardi offense. He, was, he had to open it up and throw the ball, push the ball downfield. And it feels a little bit like that with Kenny Pickett, where once the game is on the line and they start opening it up a little bit, he looks a lot better than when they're trying to run their game ball management style for an offense. Yeah, I was reminded a little bit of the Bears, actually, where they have they're fine in the very beginning when they're running scripted mm-hmm. plays and they're fine if they go into a two minute offense mm-hmm. because they're basically just making stuff happen. Yes. And everything in the meantime, they're basically just waiting for a, the other defense to make a catastrophic mistake. Boring vanilla play calls. It's hardly a, a game plan. Yes. Our game plan is you're going to screw up. Okay, great. So similar to uh, to uh, disappointing offense where you're wondering what the coach is thinking. Let's talk about the Packers and the Broncos because the Packers lose this game where their quarterback has his best game in a month, but it's throwing for 180 yards of offense against a bottom five of pass defense. Two touchdowns and a game-clinching INT. You say that was his best game in a month because he had like 30 yards at halftime. It was all in the second half. It was brutal. And the worst part if you're a Packer fan is he started so bad, brutally bad. Then he, he showed signs of playing the game, and then at the very end he threw a game interception, game-ending interception for the second game in a row. I don't know. What, what's your take on Eric Josh Jordan Love? Because my take is I don't think he's the third in the line of far to Rodgers to Love. I think it's more Grossman to Trubisky to Love. Like he is the epitome of a Bears quarterback where he shows flashes with a great arm and then he makes terrible throws to wide open receivers. And now you're getting Christian Watson getting overthrown by 20 yards, looking back at him going, what the heck was that? Like flowing his hands up and – the receivers are starting to get bad body language. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Marvin Harrison for the Buckeyes that was looking back and at uh, the Ohio State quarterback on every play, and the coach had to be like, like, the entire world is looking at you pissed off right now. <laughs> this is your high school so team. Please don't. Yes. Oh, Jordan Love looks brutal. And I don't know if it's the offense I don't know if it's the coaching. I'm certain that he is contributing here because we've talked before on this podcast of his stunning inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. There are Packers fans that are starting to talk about the rebuild beginning in earnest next year with a new quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the offense. I think it, when you look at it, his receivers are usually open. And that's like we talked about this last week. The issues with Farr was he would try to force the ball into triple coverage, and he was so accurate he could do it a lot of times, but it wasn't a good idea. I don't see Jordan Love making those bad decisions. I just see him not being able to get an accurate pass, ball out to open receivers. Do you think the worst part, too, is it looked like Watson got hurt on the game-ending interception? and Or the one before, oh, actually, before. but okay. yeah. He had a gnarly looking knee where he was going down low and got tackled and the knee kind of twisted a little bit Mm. in a way that just makes you sort of wince. Yeah. So we have, they have not immediately ruled him out. I haven't seen any updates on him yet, but um, yeah, it, that one you're, 
Dobbs is getting ready to step up, so that's for sure. If you're a Christian Watson fan, it is starting to get concerning because it does seem like he's getting injured a lot in this first year and a half as a as a pro, which is unfortunate because he shows those great flashes. He had an extensive injury history in college, too. Mm. So he might just be one of those guys, which you would hate to see because he is so unbelievably gifted. Yeah. But if you got to put him in bubble wrap to keep him healthy and use him five or ten times a game, that's that's not a recipe for success. Speaking of being used five or ten times a game, though, Aaron Jones has to be wondering what his job description is because he was supposedly healthy all game and he was still under 10 carries. So he is bleeding touches to the obviously inferior AJ Dillon. What is happening here? First of all, AJ Dillon does not look good. I think remember a couple of weeks ago, I just said I cut him in one of my fantasy leagues because even though he was still the starter, it just didn't look like he can carry average more than two yards per carry. Um, I think it's health related. I don't think Aaron Jones is back. They're trying to ramp him up, but hamstring injury is not really something you can really ramp up easily because it's one of those you go, you pull it or you don't, you don't really know. Right. Instead of ramping him up, they should have sat him out for another two games. In my opinion. Um, I don't think they should have brought him back for that Thursday night game where they had him and Watson on a pitch count. You know, they, they had from Thursday to a Monday, they should have, use that as basically a pseudo bye week in my opinion, especially throwing and playing a couple snaps a game. So to me, that's the only reason I can think of because he looked amazing in week one. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was the Bears defense. He was explosive. He was fast. He was hard to tackle. And Dylan played in that game. He didn't look nearly as good. So to me, when if you're the coaching staff and you're watching Dylan run up the ball middle for two yards and you're still not giving to Jones, it's got to be injury related, right? Especially coming off the hamstring. They're not saving. You would think. I mean, what else would they be? They're not saving them at two wins this year. You got to win the next game. They're not. Yeah, they got to win now. So I don't know what's going on there. Or something, you know, or you know, for bye weekend playoffs. So yeah, that's concerning. But I don't know. I'm kind of curious. But um, yeah, that the Packers are going the wrong way. I don't know. We'll we'll see how this develops, and then we'll you know the best move might be a rebuild. We'll find out Mm -hmm. in the the short term and now that the Packers have lost to the Broncos the Broncos are undefeated against the NFC North and um if you were to trade them for the Lions the Broncos are a bottom five team and could be easily the runaway favorite in the NFC North because um they beat the Packers they beat the Bears but wait a minute the Vikings I'm just slandering them but they just won on Monday night they beat the Niners so maybe the Broncos wouldn't beat the Vikings I don't know but the Vikings did have an impressive win on uh, Monday night where primetime Kirk Cousins threw for almost 400 yards and uh, two touchdowns and interception. And I believe that – no, no, sorry. That was a Purdy. Purdy had three touch, thir- three turnovers against the Vikings' defense, which actually looked really good. Um, yeah, they did. And- this was a very nice play. It wasn't one where they were constantly hammering Brock Purdy. I think the Vikings only ended up with one sack, but they were always in the neighborhood and they ended up with really nice coverage on the back end. Yeah, It worked together very well in this game that, and I think they uh, Vikings really benefited from, they absolutely did a number on Christian McCaffrey, by the way. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he would, I think he ended up with only 35 yards, 40 yards, something like that, rushing the football, which is unbelievable for McCaffrey. Yeah. Who was admittedly playing hurt. I think he's got that partial peck tear or something along those lines. Don't fuck me on the fantasy guys, though. But I agree. And uh, I, I don't, I, regardless of the injuries, I mean, we talked about this. The Lions were winning a lot of games without key players. Vikings did not have Justin Jefferson, and their defense came through. They looked good. I think that was um, – I said last week I wasn't super encouraged by the Vikings' win over the Bears, but looking back, seeing the Bears crush the Raiders and the you know Vikings beating Minnesota – or, sorry, beating San Francisco, maybe they do have a pulse. They're, you know, they're back to three wins, I believe, and they have a shot in the – you know, they're, they're in the wild card hunt now. And uh, the defense plays Definitely. like that. They got two good pass rushers that can pressure the quarterback. And I think this was a Jordan Addison coming out part. He he was like, Justin Jefferson, who? Hold my beer. I got this. And he had that spectacular highlight catch whew. where the very first play of the game, he got one that looked like he was yanked out of his hands for an interception. That was Kirk Cousins' one interception. It was very early in the game. And then the second one was another kind of 50-50 ball where they were going with it, and he yanked it out of the defensive back's hands and took it yard for like a 60-yard yep. touchdown that's been on every and, highlight. And reel. by the way, that flipped the game because the Vic- the Niners had just scored a touchdown in the two-minute drill to end the second, you know, to, to supposedly end the second half. Jordan Anderson picks the pocket of the DB and scores it. I actually thought that was an interception, and then also I'm like, wait a minute, is Addison running to the end zone with the ball? And then they replayed it, and the Niner guy never – he actually didn't catch the ball. Addison just yanked it out. It was it – was It wasn't – yeah, it wasn't a reception. It was Larson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was a world where Jordan Addison had four touchdown catches because he – there was another one that uh, Cousins just overthrew him on. There, there was like two or three plays where the defensive back just grabbed him and held him when he was getting past him. And um, – th- it, the game, sorry, his domination was greater than his stat line, which is hard to believe because he had like 100 and some yards and two touchdowns. It could have been 180. Right. In, in a relatively small number of catches. Mm-hmm. The the catch um, the catch guy, the move the chains guy was Hawkinson. He had, I think, 11 catches. Some ludicrous figure. They just, the Niners had absolutely no answer for Hawkinson. Um, Madison still struggled mightily, and is this game? It was more of a 50 50 touch with uh Cam Akers, who still didn't look good. But I will say, having looked at this, he looked better than I was Madison. Say the stat line didn't look impressive, but you could tell who was in the game by how they were running. And Akers looked like he did more with bad blocking than Madison did. Now the guy who actually looked the best was Ty. Ty Chandler had two two big catches for uh, like twelve yards and another one for like twenty yards. But the twenty yard one was called back. That was a cool trick play where they flipped the ball. They threw the ball back to Hero of the Day, Jordan Addison, and then Jordan Addison threw a screen pass on the other side to Chandler, who went forty yards, and it was called back for an illegal block down the field by KJ Osborne, who did make up for it by making a catch on the next play, and I think they scored a touchdown. But yeah, KJ Osborne is kind of hitting his ceiling as like a secondary or tertiary hey, piece here. He is a good complimentary he's, piece. He's fine. If you got three sons ahead of him, you got Hawkinson, Jefferson, and, and Addison. I think that's perfect to be that third guy. 
that he's he falls in line. So but, Minnesota Vikings and their three sons. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Madison, we're not making it four. I'm not putting you in the pantheon with those other three guys. You're not that. You're not that good. And do you think that Hawkinson justified his trade value a little bit? Because last week we talked about uh, Vikings fans getting frustrated with him after the trade. But I think I don't think he led to a lot of major interceptions or anything. I think he played pretty well. Yeah, he definitely had one of the best games as a Viking that he's had. He looked like the kind of player that you went out of your way to get. And the Vikings absolutely look like a team on the rise. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So from one to four to three and four, that's pretty good. So the, the Bengals, I don't think had any uh, particular stories there on the bye last week. Uh, We can move on. Uh, The, we are Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. If you want to talk with us about any particular topic about the Midwest or the NFL, then that is the way, best way to get a hold of us to make sure you end up on the show. Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. But it is running late in the show, so it is time to make our quick picks. We're going to try to expedite this segment compared to what we have been doing. And one more thing. Starting with the Sunday games, the at 1 o'clock, first of all, we have the Jaguars and the Steelers. What is your one more thing? I want to see if the Matt Canada genius continues. Lull the Jags into uh, sleeping for three quarters and then rip their hearts out with three touchdowns in the fourth. I'm I'm kind of curious about the Jaguars offense here because they've been very up and down based on the quality of the defense they played. So using that as kind of a reverse engineer, I'm going to uh, look at the Steelers defense and the job that they do on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars uh, passing offense in particular pick. I'm going to, I I will continue to not go against whatever voodoo the Steelers have going for them when they win the ugly games. And I'm going to go with them with another upset. I believe I've called like four of their upsets, but let's be honest, they're four and two and they've or four and two, five and two, and they're all upsets. Yeah. Yeah. The AFC North looks like the best division in football. I'm picking the Steelers. Yeah. Another NFC North showdown Vikings at Packers this game it at Lambeau what's your one more thing well let's well we'll we'll do a two more thing on this one one for each team shall we um I will do for what I want to see out of the Vikings is I want to see if their defensive line can continue to pressure Jordan Love into turnovers and for the Vikings for the, the Packers I want to see if uh Aaron Jones can get more than 10 carries and take over the lead back role from uh, completely fouling AJ Dillon. By the way, for as slanderous I am on Alexander Madison, I think AJ Dillon's looked worse as a future back. Fair enough. Yeah. Your pick? Vikings. I do think the Vikings look like they're playing the better, playing better right now, which makes this a prime bounce back game for the Packers. But they have to figure out what's going on with. Uh, with Jordan Love. I want to see what I'm looking for is what kind of passes that Jordan Love is able to complete. Is it mostly empty yards? Is it efficient? What's that passing game going to look like against a Vikings pass defense that will probably be able to get some pass rush going here? So I'm picking the Packers here in an upset. And before we move on, I'm going to say one of the reasons why I picked uh, the Vikings is we kind of skirted over the fact that Cousins just looks solid and composed. He did a great job at the end of this game Yeah, where I was a little oh, yeah. weirded out that they were trying to run out the clock against the Niners and they just kept throwing the ball. But Cousins was getting hit and he was moving the chains. 
So it was the right call in my opinion. Yeah, it, I'm not picking the Packers for it doesn't have anything to do with Kirk Cousins. I just kind of feel like the Packers are due for something to click together and yeah. The and the Vikings are good but they're not totally out Packers of the Packers. Are one league. big play away from Aaron Jones and one from Christian Watson from beating anyone. Let's be honest. Exactly. Last of the of the early games we've got the Saints and the Colts. This is another Minshew meets a good defense game. So I'm going to look and see if they change some of the game plan up where he's throwing a little bit less and running a little bit more. Leaning on. It kind of depends on the success they have against the Saints here. Yeah. Let's we'll see if he leans on uh, Jonathan Taylor a little more. <laughs> um, and Moss. They've got two Moss. good running backs. So um, I want to see if anything comes from the drama with Kirk, uh, Derek Carr and Chris Olave. So from the Colts side, I want to see what their defense can do to capitalize on any of this drama and uh, shut down the Saints and the Colts. The Saints might win the division. The Colts might not finish at 500, but I think the Colts are a better team, and I'm going to take the Colts, even with Minshew Mania. I really don't like the matchup, but, yeah, I, I so I'm going to pick the Saints here, but I do think the Colts have a very good chance to win this game. Okay. On to the afternoon games. Let's start with... A couple of road trips out west, starting with the Browns and the Seahawks. The Browns, to me, are all about the quarterback drama. So we're going to see what happens with Deshaun Watson. They've already supposedly cleared him for week eight. And I want to see him actually show up and play. So this uh, that's that's my uh, my pick okay. here. Um, I, th- I am going to pick the, the Browns against my better judgment, but because I think they're just a better team overall than the Seahawks, but the Seahawks have a great coach. So fun fact, both of these afternoon games are Ohio traveling to the West coast. Um, And the Browns are, um, I want to see if the defense can rebound and keep hitting hard. Cause I know they did get a lot of turnovers against the Colts, but they gave up almost 30 points and I'm worried I'm going to monitor the Browns' defense because as elite as they are, a lot of teams in the second half of the season, you start to get cracks when the offense doesn't pick up their the slack, especially at quarterback position. And if Watson continues right. to throw one for five with an interception, at some point the defense is going to break. I don't think it's going to be this week. I think it won't be till week 10 or 11 if this keeps up. It, it takes a couple months. That being said, the Seahawks are one of the hardest stadiums to play. I've, I used to live in Seattle. It's very loud. I couldn't even hear myself talk. Um, along with Baltimore, as we talked about, being one of the biggest road home advantages we talked about last week with Detroit going there. Seattle's the other major underrated one, and I'm going to take the uh, Seahawks with an upset because I do agree with you. I think the Browns are a better team on a neutral field, but I think traveling out west and um, playing the Seahawks at home is going to be a tough matchup. So. I think the Browns are going to need Deshaun Watson to play they well to win this game. It's going to be tough for a backup to play in that environment. Yep. Last, last of the afternoon games, we've got the Bengals at the 49ers. So I want to see how Joe Burrow looks after two weeks off. Will he be Joe Burrow and will T. Higgins be healthy? Because the Bron- Bengals can be a very fun team, and we've not seen it yet. We've seen them limp their way to 3-3, three and three, and I want to see if they're, you know, the health can get them on the same page and if they can be explosive on offense. Yeah, the Bengals had a nice get well game right before their bye. The 49ers are not a team to try and get well against, especially 
if they're upset after getting beat twice in a row and now playing at home after a two game road trip that did not go at all the way they wanted. So I think I'm going to pick the 49ers here because they are due. But what I'm looking for is how good the Bengals secondary can contain the Niners quick passing offense. If they can keep Brock Purdy making mistakes, they got an excellent chance to win this game. I'm going to go with the Bengals to get a win off the bye, which is kind of hard to make considering the Niners at home. And I, it's hard to see them losing three in a row, but I'm going to bet on Burrow getting healthy. The Sunday night game that they kind of wish they could flex, but looks a lot better now with the Bears having their big blowout win. They are on the road at the Chargers. Um, to me, I'm looking to see if they can keep that momentum going. The Bears, I mean, the the Chargers are hugely vulnerable defensively. I think their coach is kind of a bozo. So, I sooner or later the Chargers are going to have to win, but I'm going to pick the Bears here. I'm going to. Um, what I want to see is I want to see how Bajan does in Week Two. Uh, now, Week Two as a starter, because I believe Fields has already been ruled out. I can't remember. The I'm just going to assume T-Bag's playing. And I think it's not going to be till the week after this that a defense coordinator will adjust to him. But I think the Chargers are going to let Bajan run and throw underneath because they tend to keep people underneath them. And the Chargers like to let invite teams to run. And I think if Roshan's back or if whatever. So I just think that I want to see how Bajan leads the offense against the Chargers defense. And I am going to pick the Bears because – Third Midwest team on the West Coast, but I just can't I can't pick a Brandon Staley led uh defense. And I'm actually gonna double down and say this gets the first coach fired, Brandon gets Brandon Staley after losing to the Bears. That could be. On to another loud stadium when they're actually doing something. The Raiders are at the Lions in Monday night football. And Brian, I'll let you take the first shot here. I want to see. This is a good one. Um, how the Lions respond, to be honest, to a catastrophic beatdown. I think anything short of dropping 40 on the Raiders while holding them less than 20 will be disappointing, in my opinion. They need to come out angry, and they need to crush the Raiders. And I want to see if they do that. See, show me some fire, Macho Man Dan Campbell's team. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, the Lions need to figure out their passing game. They need to get healthy in a couple places, but they're picking a very good time to do it. I think the Lions are going to use this as a get well game. I'm not going to put a, you know, I'm only happy if they do this, but um, but what I'm looking for here is to see who's going to step up opposite uh, Amon Ra in the receiving court. Because we know we got uh, Laporta and he's going to be fine but we do need somebody on the other side. In addition to me picking the Lions to win this game, I'm going to pick Josh McDaniels to rival Brandon Staley in the first coach fired. So the question is, who will win the honor of getting first coach fired? Will it be the Bears or the Lions or both? <laughs> Good question. But that's all the time we have today for the Midwest Football Podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners. As always, we appreciate every moment that you spend with us. 
Thank you also to Raymond for our intro and outro music off of his album, Come to Call to Me. Thank you also to Chris Brandley for doing all of our logos. But until next week, we got to take this into the locker room for the fifth quarter. We will see you later. I miss you already. <laughs>